that right? He is the only king. Amen. So let's stand together. Let's bless his name. The song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord.
this morning as we come to this opening time of prayer here at the altar. Perhaps you've brought a lot of burdens in with you this morning. Maybe you have a burden on your heart for someone who's lost and you know that they need to be saved. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's something else going on within the family. And you just say, Lord, I need to lift this up to you. This is bigger than me. And I want to give it over to you, Lord. We want you to recognize that this altar is open this morning. And this is a place where we can come. We can lay things down at the foot of the cross. And we can trust the Lord with it. We can keep it here for him to deal with. And, and for us to not think that we have to carry it on our own. And so, Lord, this morning I hope you'll bring it to the Lord. And I hope you will trust him with it. With every head bowed and with all eyes closed, this altar is open at this time. Come, let's spend time in prayer together. Dear precious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we come to you this morning just thanking you for your many blessings that you give to each and every one of us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask for your forgiveness before we fall short, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you continue to be with us here today as you was in our Sunday school classes. And Lord, we just thank you for that and those leaders and just for the opportunity to open our hearts and minds to the lesson that we learned in our Sunday school class and the fellowship that we have the opportunity to have there just to be with one another. Lord, uh, I just ask that uh, you continue to bless our choir ministry, our uh, song leader, the ones that play the instruments for us. Uh, Lord, just uh, continue to bless them. Lord, uh, open our hearts and minds for this service, Lord, that we may take something out of it and use it in our everyday life, Lord, whether it be at work, school, uh, out in our community, wherever it may be that we may uh, glorify your name, Lord. Lord, uh, we had several on our prayer list this morning. Uh, a lot of it concerning COVID, Lord, we just ask that you uh, be with those that they may heal. Uh, Lord, lots of people have lost loved ones due to that, and we just continue to pray for your comfort and strength on those families, Lord. Lord, we have several in our church that have been out for surgeries and cancer and different things, Lord. Uh, we just ask that you continue to be with them, Lord, and just uh, place your healing hand there and uh, comfort those. Lord, uh, most of all, uh, we just want to come to you to have you to help us with our one or two or three, as Brother Brad said, that we know that may be lost and that may be a family or a friend or someone we work with. Lord, just uh, help us to help those uh, that are lost, that doesn't know you, Lord, that they may uh, accept that gift that you've given us for salvation, Lord. And we just thank you for sending your son to die on that cross. Not only did he die for us, Lord, that he arose and uh, we have the opportunity to serve a risen Savior today, Lord. And just uh, ask if there's someone out there that's confused, doesn't know that they get to us and uh, talk to us, Lord, and uh, maybe we can help them before it's everlasting too late. Lord, just ask you give us a good day of fellowship here. Just continue to bless our church, uh, be with our programs, like he said, that's starting up tonight with our center shot program and our kids. Just help us to get through to them. It's not just uh, bows and arrows, Lord. It's uh, uh, putting uh, Jesus in the center of their life, just as they aim for the center of that target, Lord. So help us to help them and continue to be with our youth program and, and all the many activities we got coming up this fall. Lord, just uh, be with us, lead God, and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, let's stand together and praise him. Praise him, praise him is what the song reminds us to do. Here we go. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing over his wonderful love proclaim. Let's hail him, hail him, eyes archangels in glory. Strength and honor, give to his holy name. 
Thank you, Dee, for that special music, and praise the Lord for the opportunity we've already had to, to sing and to lift up our voices and our hearts to the Lord in praise and spend some time in prayer. And uh, this morning, I want you to turn me with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter as we begin a series through 1 and 2 Peter over the next few weeks. That I believe is going to be encouraging. It's, it's already been encouraging to me. As I've begun uh, studying here, and I believe it'll be an encouragement to you as well. First Peter, and we'll be in chapter 1 this morning, looking at verses 1 through 5. And I praise the Lord that I've got some good news for you this morning. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we thank you. We thank you for the way that you continually meet our needs. You meet us where we're at. And Lord, you are always much more than, than sufficient, Lord. Uh, you cause our cup to overflow. 
but the blessings in our lives, Lord. No matter what we may be going through, Lord, it's not bigger than you, and we're so thankful for that. And Lord, this morning as we look at the blessings that we have in you, in the midst of, of hardships that may seem like they're going on all around us, Lord, we are a blessed people, and we need to recognize that. We need to recognize what we have in you. And Lord, share that with a lost and dying world that so desperately needs to know as well. And so, Lord, today, again, I just pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, how many of you uh, would agree with me that right now, as I'm sure in most times, that life is hard? Life is pretty hard right now, isn't it? There's a lot of difficulty right now. There's a lot of families. There's a lot of individuals who are hurting. In fact, in our staff meeting on Tuesday morning and then in the deacons meeting on uh, Tuesday night, there was just long list. We spent a lot of our time both in the staff meeting on Tuesday morning and, and during the deacons meeting just lifting up needs of individuals and families, serious issues that folks are facing, um, families that are being hit so hard uh, by this virus, by COVID. And then other families, just the, the fear of all that's going on and, and how that's affecting our lives and the way that we do things. Everything seems to be on pause in a way um, because of, of everything that we're facing right now. And, that, and that's difficult. It's difficult for kids. It's difficult for adults. Uh, it's difficult for families. And beyond that, so many of you know that COVID's certainly not the only thing that we're facing. We've got families that I'm dealing with on a weekly and daily basis who are dealing with cancer. And dealing with heart disease and, and diabetes and kidney disease and joint and back issues and numerous other health concerns that certainly have not taken a break just because there's COVID here in 2021. In fact, on Tuesday night, uh, during that same deacons meeting, some of you may remember, uh, we had a little bit of excitement here in Marshall County, didn't we, on Tuesday night? Uh, to say the least, uh, as uh, I was getting phone calls, uh, uh, our, our uh, secretary called me. She didn't want me to die. I'm thankful for that. And said, uh, do you know who's coming towards you? I said, yes, we're fine. I'm in Marshall County. Everybody's carrying, so we're fine. <laughs> so uh, I'm not kidding. Everybody was. <laughs> but uh, in the midst of, of trying to pray for all these families, here we are, recognizing that it doesn't matter if you live in a rural community, violent crime still finds you. There's still violence. There's still things that take place here, this is not Mayberry. And if you look around you this morning, if you look to your left, your right, in front or behind, I guarantee you, you're going to see somebody in this church family right now who's dealing with loss, who's grieving. If you look up here at the pulpit, you're going to see somebody who's still grieving. And that's not easy. And we're going through hardships. And then you turn on the news and you read about the issues in the world. And there seems to be turmoil in our local, state, and national government. In fact, you know, in a political sense, our political parties, uh, I don't know if they would agree on what day it is, uh, much less how to govern anything. Uh, and that's what we find right now. From Washington to the local level, we have never been more divided politically over anything. There's chaos internationally. We know what's going on in Afghanistan. That doesn't have to be spoken of. But then you look at the threats that are looming from China and Russia and North Korea it's a very, very unsettling time, and you look at the economic downturn that we've seen over the last few months, and it seems that everything from gas to milk prices has gone up in price. And all that, unfortunately, is just 
the tip of the iceberg because there's violent crime in our cities that's on the increase on almost a daily basis, it seems. And sadly, I could literally stand here for hours and read the news stories from around the globe that paint a picture of terrible social upheaval and moral decay. And I think it's very clear that our world is currently in a mess. We need Jesus. It's also safe to say that good news is hard to find in a sin-cursed world. You turn on the news and you want to find good news, but it's just hard to find. In fact, the world could rightly be described as one trouble piled on another right now. The sad part of it is the fact that when we read the headlines and we ponder the news that's happening in our world and when we think of our own problems and burdens, we tend to get caught up in it to the point of losing heart, to the point of thinking, is there any hope? And sometimes I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'm guilty of, of allowing the world around us to steal the glory that God has placed within my heart and, and to forget that, you know what? No, he's still on the throne. He, he knows what's happening. He's still in control. And even I can get a little disheartened at times about the condition of the world that we're in. But this should never be the case for us as believers because we know the one who holds us in his hands. And because of that, we recognize that we don't really have anything to worry about. And in the first verse of our text here this morning, you're going to see that Peter addresses his letter to the strangers scattered. He's writing to Jewish believers who here have been forced to leave their homeland and have found themselves dispersed in all different parts of the world. They're no longer at home. They're in foreign lands. These people, because of their belief, because of their faith, are being subjected to persecution and suffering that you and I really can only begin to imagine in the world that we live in today. Peter is writing to them against the backdrop of pain and suffering, and he is encouraging them in the faith here. He is reminding them that in the midst of these trials, there is some reliable reason for real rejoicing, even in the midst of all they're experiencing. And one cause for rejoicing lies in that word strangers. That word refers to one who travels through a strange land. You see, what's taking place here is Peter is reminding them, he's reminding us here in Brinesburg, Kentucky in 2021, that this is not our home. We are strangers here, and that's why it doesn't feel like home. Because it's not. We're scattered. We're merely strangers passing through a foreign land. One day the journey will end, and one day we will be home. But right now, it's a strange place. Unlike these Jewish believers, we're not being persecuted like this today. Not really, not compared to what they were going through. And yet there are still battles to fight. There are still valleys that on a daily basis we have to cross, dark nights to endure, pain to have to suffer. And in the midst of it all, it's easy for us to sometimes, even as believers, to lose perspective. And to think all is lost. It's easy to forget who we are in Christ and, and where we're going because we belong to him. Here Peter reminds us of who we are, but more importantly, whose we are and where we are going. And so, Brinesburg, I am so happy to tell you this morning. Here is some good news. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. First Peter. 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You may be seated. Some good news this morning. In Christ, we have some amazing truths that are good news for us as children of God. First of all, I want you to look there in verses 2 and 3, and we see the grace of God. The grace of God, listen to me, church, the grace of God is good news. We need it. And notice the procedure here. If you are saved today, it is not because you did anything to deserve it. Do you understand that today? That you don't deserve salvation? You didn't do anything to earn it. These two verses are filled with the truth that salvation is a work of pure grace. Notice what Peter says here. We have been chosen by God. You hear that? You were chosen. Peter tells us that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, in other words, what it means is if you are saved today... It is because God chose you in Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world began. You are chosen by God. Isn't that awesome? That God, why would God choose us? I don't know. I look at me and I'm like, why would God choose me? But he has. He's chosen to save us. That's a work of grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Not one of us here this morning deserves to be chosen by God. But because we serve a gracious God, a loving God, he has chosen us. But also, we have been called by God. Peter speaks of sanctification of the Spirit. Part of this process of bringing us to Jesus was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God awoke us to our need of salvation and he spoke to our hearts about our lost condition. And he called us to repentance and he gave us the faith to respond to God's free offer. Without that, we would never have desired to come to God. On our own, we loved our sin more than we loved the Savior, and we would have pushed him away, but he has given us a desire to come to him. And this too is a work of grace. Not a single person here this morning deserved to be called to salvation, but no one is ever saved apart from it. It is only because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us that any of us are saved here this morning. But also, we have been cleansed by God. According to Peter here, God did not stop with choosing us and calling us, but he has also cleansed us when we came to him in faith. The precious blood that Jesus Christ shed at Calvary's cross has the power to wash away the vilest sin. I don't care what you're coming to the Lord with this morning. I don't care how how, how seemingly lost you feel like you are, that the Lord could never save you. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. You can be cleansed by the grace and the blood of Jesus. Surely the blood of Jesus is the only hope for us as sinners to be cleansed. Surely no sinner deserves for that blood to be shed. But it was the grace of God that led Jesus Christ to Calvary to die there on the cross for our sins. 
It was grace that allowed him to take upon himself the sin of the world. It was grace that that parted his parched lips to utter the three most remarkable words that the world will ever know. And those words are, it is finished. Meaning that your sins have already been forgiven if you are in Christ. The work has already been done. It doesn't have to continually be done. It is done. He died for your sins once and for all. And if you desire a relationship with him, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today, you can be saved. He can do that work in you and he can cleanse you from all of your sin. Now that blood has been shed. Any sinner who hears the call of the Spirit can come. It's nothing less than the pure grace of God. But also we see here the plan. The plan. Peter tells us that God's plan in all of this was to affect a new birth in all those who come to him. Now, what does that mean? It's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3 and verse 7. He speaks of this new birth. He speaks of us needing to be born again. Simply stated, when a sinner repents of sin and when a sinner responds to the call of God for salvation... That person, at that moment, is literally reborn and becomes a child of God. We are no longer who we used to be. We are now transformed. We've become a new creation in Him. According to the Bible, when we were born the first time, we were born into the family of Adam. The first birth resulted in us all being born with deformity. Not a deformity of the flesh, but a deformity of the spirit. In fact, we were all born spiritually dead. We were born with a a nature that is pulled towards sin and is pulled away from God. All humans are born into this world as vile, dirty sinners, all of us. But it gets worse. Because not only are we sinners by birth, but as we grow and as, as our sin nature matures, we become sinners by choice, we choose to sin. And as a result of our sins, we are separated from God. And we are destined to suffer a second death. And we are, we're destined to spend an eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. A place where sinners literally do not die. They continually exist, but where they exist in an eternal separation from the presence of God. And that awful pain and unquenchable fire is forever what they experience. Because they have rejected the free offer of grace in Christ. However, Jesus lived and he died to change that. And when he died on that cross, he paid the sin debt for every person who will receive him by faith. When a sinner repents and comes to Jesus, that sinner is instantly transformed into a saint. Now how does that take place? Because Jesus Christ covers us. When the Lord looks at me, he doesn't see me in all my sin and all my failure. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees that because he has covered me. We get a brand new start in Christ. All of our sins have forever been forgiven because of Christ. He is immediately adopted into the family of God. When that sinner comes, we we are no longer separated from God, but we become a son or a daughter of the King. And our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those are some very real reasons to rejoice. That is some very good news for people like you and me to understand what God has done for us. But then also we see the product. Peter tells us 
that the product of all this work by God is a lively hope. Simply put, this refers to a living confidence that we have a bright future, that our hope is a living hope, that it is sure, that it is certain, that it is as real as it can possibly be, opposed to the, to the deceptive and empty and false hopes of this world. You say, well, Brother Brad, what do you mean the, the deceptive hopes of this world? What do you, what do you mean the, the empty promises of this world? Well, today, far too many of us are placing our hope in the fleeting promises that this world gives us. Far too many of us place our hope in a 401k. Uh, far too many of us place our hope in the stock market doing well. There are those that place their hope in a politician or a political party. There are those, there's a great number of those who, who place their hope in the health and the well-being of their family. And let me tell you, that can be taken away in a moment. These are all hopes. They're based on wishful thinking. We have no control over these things. But when the New Testament uses the word hope, it's not referring to this fond, wishful desire, but rather it means a confident assurance that is based on something rock solid. Our lively hope is a, is a confidence. It's an assurance in the Word of God. It's an assurance in, in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead that, that produces this exciting response is that we know this to be the truth because it's been promised by our promise-keeping God. I hope you get what we're, what we're looking at here this morning. That when we as believers speak of a hope of heaven, we're not talking about a pipe dream. We're talking about a sure thing. We're talking about something that is just as real as, as the ground that we're standing upon this morning. We're referring to something that is settled by the inerrant and infallible word of God. Brownsburg, the world may be in turmoil this morning. But those who are saved possess a hope that is out of this world. We trust in one who is not affected by, by the changing uh, political winds or, or economic circumstances of this world. This alone is enough for us to shout about. Peter is sharing with us something amazing. This is some good news this morning. But there's more. Look at verse 4 and notice our guarantee in God. He tells us there's a guaranteed place. Peter says that we are the recipients of an inheritance. Now, to understand an inheritance, an inheritance, of course, is something that is left behind by one who has died. It's a gift to those still living from one who is not. In our case, however, it's different. We do have an inheritance, and it is provided by one who died, but it's provided by one who died and yet now lives. As children of God, we will share in the inheritance of God. We are mentioned in Christ's last will and testament, and we will share that inheritance with the one who gave it to us in glory someday. Don't worry about heaven being a myth. That, so many people today, those silly Christians talking about heaven, talking about you know, this, this, this fairy tale in the sky, is what you'll hear so many people say about Christians today, that we're just silly for, for believing in something like heaven. Don't worry about those things. I have it on good authority. That heaven is very much a reality for those who know the Lord. I have it on good authority from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. How do you like that promise? Heaven is real. Heaven is certain. But also we have a glorious place. Peter's description of that glorious place we talked about just a few weeks ago warrants a little further, closer look, I believe, this morning as well. We use three negative terms here to describe that inheritance to which we are headed in a very positive fashion here. First of all, it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. No enemy shall ever set foot on the shores of that beautiful place. People in Peter's day had seen the Roman legions come in and destroy city after city. No matter how grand, no matter how glorious, no matter what the defenses, Rome had come in and they had destroyed. But he tells them about a land that is beyond the reach of any invader, Rome or anywhere else. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor thieves do break through and steal. But secondly, it cannot be defiled. It cannot be defiled. This literally means that it cannot be soiled or stained. Heaven, unlike this world, which has been raped and wrecked and ruined by sin... Heaven, on the other hand, is touched by, cannot be, cannot be touched by any of those things. It cannot be destroyed. None of the wretched evils that mar earth will rear their ugly head there in heaven. Things like death and sin and Satan and suffering, troubles, none of those things will be able to pass. None of those things will even be in our vocabulary in that land. Revelation 21, 4, remember what he says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Verse 27 of Revelation 21, and there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. But then thirdly, it cannot be decayed. This phrase speaks to anything that it cannot wear away. All of the great sights, all the great possessions in our world today, no matter how great that we think they are, are subject to decay. We look at many of the great wonders of the world, and they're nothing of what they used to be because time has worn them down. Your home, your car, your body, <laughs> it all wears out, doesn't it? It all experiences decay, yet that will not be the case in heaven. That city will require no repairs, no fixing, no restoration. It will never wear away. But also it's a guarded place. In the New Testament times, many people grew olive trees. And if you know anything about olive trees, that's quite an investment because it takes 23 years for a, an olive tree to mature to the place where it will bear fruits. 
these trees were often then left as an inheritance because the olives would bring about a great sum of money for the family. That you could have those olive trees and you could have a good income. However, the olive trees were always the first thing to be destroyed by invading armies. And thus, they would take away the next generation's inheritance and their ability to be able to provide for themselves. Peter tells us that unlike an inheritance here on this earth, that, that may pass away, that may be destroyed by theft or, or mismanagement or decay or destruction. What, what is in heaven is reserved. That word means guarded. It, it could literally be translated kept under a lock and key. Like we have safety deposit boxes or we have a, a safe somewhere in our home. That's what we're talking about here. The bottom line is this. Our heavenly home is as secure as, this, as if our feet were already planted on those golden streets, as if our eyes could already behold the Savior's face, as if we were already living in those glorified bodies. That's how sure this is. Heaven isn't a myth. It is reality. It is a present reality being guarded by the Heavenly Father, waiting for the day when it will be our turn to arrive home, to receive it unto ourselves. This idea, though, this idea of a, of a, of a being guarded leads me to our third and final point, which is we ourselves are guarded by God. That's what we see here in verse 5. We are guarded by God. Notice the promise here. Notice the promise. Peter tells us, these early believers, that they are kept. That word means garrisoned or protected by a military guard. It refers to a garrison within a city. And so the power that keeps and guards us resides within us, and it is the Holy Spirit himself. He is the one who guards us. Very literally, the child of God has a lot better protection than the President of the United States with the Secret Service. We have, we have, we have greater protection than even him because he has the Secret Service, but we have a sovereign Savior. He has an armed guard, but we have an almighty God. He has present protection. We have perfect protection. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us as the child of God. The Bible is clear when it teaches us that no one who has received Jesus as their personal Savior need ever to worry about losing their salvation because it's an impossibility. Getting lost again after you have already been genuinely saved the first time is an absolute impossibility, church. Do you hear me? If you have been saved the first time, okay, that's the big thing. If you have genuinely entered in, to a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ where you recognized your sin, you repented of that sin, and you trusted in Christ by faith, you trusted in what he has already done, you can never be lost again, ever. You are saved and guarded by him. The Bible talks about that time and time and time again. But notice also the power. How is this possible? Well, the reason that we are secure rests in the fact that we are not liable for keeping our own salvation. Isn't that a good thing? That we don't try to have to try to hang on to it ourselves. You didn't work for your salvation, okay? If you did, then you're not saved. If you're trusting in works, you're not saved. You did not work for your salvation. You did not earn your salvation. Therefore, since you didn't work for it to earn it, you don't have to work to keep your salvation. It is God's work, not man's work. The Bible is clear when it says that we are kept by the power of God. We're not kept by the power of Brad. 
We're not kept by the power of Mike. We're not kept by the power of Tim. We are kept by the power of God. And so it is the dynamic power of Almighty God that does the keeping. And if we were able to lose our salvation, what does that say about the, the power of our God? If he could lose us, if, well, I had him for a minute, but then I lost him. What does that say about our God? What does that say about what we believe about our God? We cannot lose our salvation. We can rest confidently in the knowledge that he who began a good work in us will finish it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If a born-again believer can lose their salvation, if a born-again believer can, can lose their salvation and die and go to hell, that does not speak well of our God. I want to affirm the truth that we serve a God who is able to save anyone and safely deliver that person home to heaven when that life is over. In fact, whether you ever grasp it or not, if you are truly saved by the grace of God, you are already as sure for heaven as you could ever be. You cannot miss it, okay? You're not going to need a garment or, or an iPhone or Siri or anything else to get you there. You can't miss it. You're as good as there in him. What makes this truth so precious is the fact that so many times I've been guilty of messing up things in my life. Those of you who have been on construction mission trips with me know that I can mess anything up. You give me a project, I'll probably break it, okay? I can mess things up. I am not perfect. Ask Robin, I am not perfect. I'm pretty good at messing things up. And if it were up to me to have to hold on to my salvation, I'd be in trouble. I'd mess it up. But you know what? I'm pretty sure that you're the same way. That if it were up to you to hang on to your own salvation, you would mess it up. You wouldn't get it completely right every single day. And so there would be no hope for any of us. But friends, salvation is one thing that not even I can mess up. Because it's in Christ. I've got it now, and I will have it forever. And that's not because of Brad's work. That is God's promise to you and to me, that he's got us. We are guarded in him. But also notice the proof of this. Peter closes verse 5 by reminding the reader that they are partakers of the salvation that extends beyond the turmoil of today. He tells them that their faith in Christ has secured for them an eternal hope that will culminate in their safe arrival in heaven at the end of the journey. Friends, has it become clear to you this morning yet? Has it become clear that we who are saved are indeed saved forever? We're his. Notice what Paul tells us about our salvation in Ephesians. Salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation gives us the seal of the Spirit of God. And the seal remains intact until we are finally taken to be with the Lord in heaven. And since I am saved by grace, sealed by the Spirit, and secured by the power of the Father, I can be absolutely certain that God's salvation will last forever. Maybe you're still not convinced about that, though. Well, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Did you notice that verb, are saved? It's in the present tense active voice. It means that salvation 
is an ongoing process. I was saved when I trusted Jesus. I am being saved as I pass through this life each and every day. And I will be saved when I arrive home in glory. And it's all guaranteed. To cap it all off, all of this is God's work in me. So if I were to drop the ball anywhere along the way, if it were up to me and I, and I could mess up one day and, and all this would be lost, I'd be in trouble because I'd drop the ball. But we serve a God who never drops the ball, amen? We serve a God who, who is perfect and who always keeps his promises, and this is one of those promises. He is not going to drop the ball. He's got you. And so this morning, I would encourage you to get your eyes off of the troubles and off of the turmoil that is going on in this world today and rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in what you have in Jesus Christ. Learn to praise God for who, who you are in Him and what He has done in you and what He continues to do in you. And when you learn the secret that you can rejoice, even in the midst of the turmoil, that you can rejoice in who Christ is in your life, you can begin to truly live a life filled with joy unspeakable. Maybe you want to bring a need, though, this morning to this altar. Maybe there's a burden in your life and you just like to lay it down this morning. Maybe you need to thank him for your salvation, that you are saved and sealed and sure for heaven. Maybe you recognize that this needs to be your church home and you'd like to come and, and join this church family today. I invite you to come. But maybe this morning, maybe you have heard these promises that I've talked about. But you've recognized that this isn't good news for you because you've never accepted Christ. And so none of this is promised to you because you're outside of a relationship with Jesus. But maybe this morning you begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. And you recognize that you do have sin that needs to be dealt with. That you can't deal with it on your own. That only Jesus could forgive you. And you need to come to him today. Maybe you've recognized this morning, you know, Brother Brad, as, as you've been preaching, the Holy Spirit's just kind of spoken to me and said, you know, you don't have a relationship with me, but I'm inviting you to come today. If that's you, if that's true in your life this morning, you can hear the Holy Spirit in your heart. You can feel that heart beating right now. You know, he's talking about me right now. No, it's not me talking about you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, come. I want to I have a relationship with you. I want to change your life because I want to forgive you. I want to make you my own. If that's you today, I'm going to invite you to come here in just a moment. And when you come, there is some good news. And the good news is, is that even you, a sinner, can be transformed into a child of God. He wants you to come today. He wants you to say yes to him. How is the Lord speaking to you today? How can you respond in an obedient fashion this morning? This is some good news. Let's take it to a lost and dying world. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that even in the midst of us living in a foreign land, Lord, that you have given us some assurances that, Lord, one day you're going to take us home. And so, Lord, this morning we have a lot to rejoice about. Lord, even in the midst of some of us getting difficult diagnosis this, this past week, even in the midst of some of us walking through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death right now, even with some of us experiencing turmoil within our home life, uh, even, even with the issues going on in our local communities and, and our state and our nation with this disease, Lord, we give it all over to you, recognizing you're in control. And Lord, most importantly, in you we're saved. We're sure for heaven. And I pray for my friends this morning that don't yet have that relationship with you. 
Lord, speak to their heart right now. Let them know that you're talking about them, that you want a relationship with them personally, not, not just something that's a belief system of their mom or dad or grandparents or, or anybody else, but you, you want a relationship with them. You want it to be real in their life. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for salvation to take place even in our midst today. And we'll rejoice and give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be obedient. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.